Hello, welcome to Canadian Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. Carlos, welcome to the show. Oh, hey! How's it going? I'm good. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good so far. I'm glad to hear it. So, Carlos, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? How'd you get started in real estate? What are you doing now? My name is uh, Carlos Yanalunis. I like uh, long walks on the beach, uh, quiet candlelight dinners, uh, the sound of the seashore whapping gently against the... Uh... <laughs> Uh, no, I'm Carlos. I'm a little entrepreneur here in, in the Edmonton area. I started off doing real estate back in uh, 2016 with my wife. We bought our first house together right after getting married. I had gotten interest in real estate back in like 2011, but of course, you know, it takes a little while to get started when you're like 18 years old. So, um, then I, uh, bought another house and another house eventually ran into the first problem where I ran out of cash, which a lot of uh, real estate investors run into. Um, now I'm starting to run into the problem a couple of years down the road where I'm running out of mortgages because banks don't love me anymore, which is okay. Uh, partway down the road though, I realized a great way to make extra cash flow is to uh, buy other businesses. So I, we invested in like a gym and a few other little small things. Um, but then we discovered Airbnbs and we went kind of dug into that. I've got three daughters. One of them's like two weeks old. She's you know, my youngest there. Uh, one wife who's amazing and wonderful and hasn't realized that uh, I'm the one who married up. And uh, a pretty good life so far. Just to be clear, one wife. So far. So far. Okay. <laughs> as far as I know, I went to Vegas like twice, so I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, <laughs> you know how it goes. Uh, I, no, I don't. I've never been there. Oh, well, you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You'll you'll have to take me here one time. So, why Airbnbs? How did how did you get started in short-term rentals? Uh, it was by accident. Uh, so uh, as you could probably guess, I'm a mama's boy. You know, I love my mama, but uh, she had a condo that was under water back in 2018. So I was like, hey, mom, like her rent went from like and we had a crash here in the market. Uh, for those of you who don't kind of like know, Alberta's real estate isn't the same as like Vancouver and Toronto. Vancouver and Toronto's real estate is more controlled about the inflow and outflow of money into the city. Whereas Alberta, it's about how many workers are coming to the city. So, and uh, we had a little bit of an oil crash for a bit there in the oil sands in 2015. So our rental market dropped. Um since everyone was leaving the province. So we ended up having our, our rents go from like 1800 bucks a month to like 1200 bucks a month. Also, Alberta doesn't have like rent control. So it makes it a little different with the way our market fluctuates. So landlords are more than willing to do a rent drop because they can always raise the rent in the future. So her cost though was 1500 bucks a month. So she was underwater 300 and wasn't able to find any good tenants or anything. So I said, Hey, you know, I've heard of this Airbnb thing. Why don't we give it a try? Worst case scenario, you're just as screwed as you were before. <laughs> so, but at least you can get some nice furniture out of it. So that's what we did. We took this little two bedroom condo. We made it really nice. We kind of decided we wanted to aim for the higher end of the market. There wasn't really a lot of people back then doing this. So it was a lot more the wild west. There wasn't education. Any of the courses that were out there, were scams. There's still scams today. There's actually only one course I'd recommend to people, and that's only if you're planning on scaling up. Everything else is free. A guy named Sean Rakajik has made it free online. He's just like, he's got like 300 videos online covering everything you could want to know to start an Airbnb and more. Anyway, so um, 
we ended up getting to set, setting it up, putting it together. And like everything else in my life with ADHD, it was literally the last minute we were like finishing setting up this place as the guys checking in at five o'clock, we're like setting up at 445, like the final touches. And so uh, we meet him at the door, give him the keys. Nice guy. He's coming here for work. Um, he walks into the place and he looks around and he says, wow, this is way better than a hotel. And at that point in time, we caught the bug. So the condo did fairly well. We had our little mistakes, ups and downs. Uh, we ended up pulling an average of 2,500 bucks a month. This is back in 2017 numbers, of course. Things have changed since then. Some things have gone up, some things have gone down. Um, so then uh, my mom was more than cash flowing and we were happy to help her out with that, but we decided we wanted to do it some more. Uh, fast forward eight months later, we got shut down by the condo board, but by that we already had more uh, Airbnbs up and running. So that's what happened with that. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, does your mom still have that condo? Uh, no, she finally got rid of it, okay. thankfully. <laughs> I know your affinity for condos, so. Ah, oh, they're wonderful creations of the devil. <laughs> so getting into our first segment here, what was the best deal you've ever done? What was the plan? What went right or wrong? Mm, the best deal I ever done was I convinced my wife to marry me. <laughs> so that was the best deal. Uh, it's paid off. Tons of uh, ROI since then. I think I guess 300%, you could say. But <laughs> yeah, I one wife and three kids. Mm -hmm. uh, three, oh, no, now three children a year. That'd be crazy. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Well, multiple wives, <laughs> but you still got the one. Or, or we could do that. Oh, my gosh. Um, anyways, so what ended up happening was, uh, so we had just gotten married. The, the market was still doing good, uh, but we got an off-market deal. This lady was an older lady. She liked us. She thought we were cute. She, uh, she knew us, me from back when I was a little beaver kid. So we ended up negotiating and talking about a deal. Her house needed a lot of work. The place was definitely like run down a bit. It was in a nice area though, that it was gentrifying really nicely. Gentrifying is when, uh, all the old houses are either getting renoed to the nines or they're getting torn down and built up to bit larger houses. Cause they're typically large lots, typically inner city. Um, so this area was gentrifying. So we bought the house for 215,000. Um, we sunk about 40,000 into it to put a basement suite in. And then uh, we turned around and refinanced it for uh, 360,000. Then the market crashed. But um, that uh, that was our first deal. And that got us set up to be able to buy a whole bunch more deals down the road. Um, so I'd say, yeah, that was my best deal that we did. And we still have that house to the day. It's an Airbnb now. We love it. We'll probably end up tearing it down and building two skinny houses eventually. That's our exit strategy. In the meantime, though, it, it Chugs along and cash flows happily. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. Looking back at it now, is there anything you would do differently on that one? The biggest mistake I probably made is I cut corners. So you always want to save a little bit of money. You want to do things to like, you know, keep costs low. You'll do things yourself that you really shouldn't do yourself. Because um, at the end of the day, if you can, if you can make Ikea furniture, you can build a house. Everything's just... It's, it's dumbed down, made simple enough that with enough practice, anybody can build a house from, from the concrete all the way up. Um, that being said, doesn't mean everyone should build a house. So one, for example, one thing I did is in the living room, we put, uh, 
uh, sound insulation in there to between the two floors, the up and down suite. So above it would be the bedrooms, below it's the living room. We didn't do the same thing in the bedroom uh, because I didn't want to pay to tear the roof down to put the insulation in to put a new ceiling up. I wanted to save some money. And so, of course, as you can imagine, having the downstairs bedroom underneath a living room ended up creating a lot of issues with noise. And I ended up having to go and tear it down and put it back up in the later. Um, so like little things like that where I, I kind of cheated and and cut corners end up costing me in the long run. How long has this one been an Airbnb for? Uh, 2019. 2019. I'm curious, was that advantageous for you to be able to get in there and do the renovations? Or do you think that would have made a difference if it was a long-term rental? Well, having the noise flow through to a bedroom from a living room wasn't that great for long-term rentals. And then for short-term rentals, it's a killer. So even to this day, there's like an area around like vents and stuff like that, where I didn't put any soundproofing in that I'm still dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, and like you get complaints and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of things you have to do to make everyone happy. So that's an area that's still biting me in the butt and being a pain in the butt. That's fair. Okay. So what are the, some of the lessons that you did learn uh, on this deal? Uh, some of the lessons that I learned was first off, like I learned a lot about being doing renovations myself, being a landlord. This was my first step into real estate. At the end of the day, you can pay for all the overpriced crap courses you want. You can read all the books you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you want. Until you actually do a deal, you're never going to know even 10%. And the sooner you come to terms with that, and the sooner you go do your first deal with the best knowledge that you have, the, the faster your real estate career will take off. A lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis. A lot of people never take action and then they never go anywhere. Just do a, just do one deal. Start your first deal. Get your first deal done. Find what you think is a great deal. Even if though you think it's a great deal, it'll probably be an okay deal. <laughs> Let's be honest. But that's okay because you don't want to find an okay deal and they get a terrible deal out of it. So find a great deal, what you think is a great deal, and do it. So that was probably the biggest thing. You, you learn a ton. You learn for everything from how to close to what to look for in a property, all that stuff. Great advice. Great advice. So switching gears here a little bit, what's the worst deal you've ever done? What was the plan and what went right or wrong? <sighs> the worst deal I ever did is I bought a bungalow that I kind of wanted to do a little flip on. I wanted to put in a non-compliant suite and, um, and then turn around, burr it, refinance it, pull the money out, and then move on. So it was, it was just going to be a quick, dirty deal kind of thing. Uh, it was across the street from a fire department, and the market wasn't going up like some people were predicting it would. So I was kind of relying on the market shooting up a little bit. Um, so I ended up getting stuck with the property and having my cash locked into it. Uh, the investor I had at the time ran into like some financial problems as well, so he needed the cash out of the deal. So I ended up having to sell this house at a $30,000 loss just to uh, help all the parties involved. So I ended up losing my cash and that stalled me for a couple of years, you know, losing 30 grand and being dropped down that low kind of, it's a big chunk of change. You know, if worst case scenario, if I had that money, I could buy another house and then just slowly like house hack it. And which means you buy the house, you move into it, you fix it while you live in it um, and do it that way. But because I'd done that kind of deal and I wasn't planning on moving into it, I was kind of SOL that way. Is house hacking that something that you have practiced previously? I love it. House hacking's great. I, I don't do it anymore because now I've got children. So my wife is like, no. And I'm like, come on. And she's like, heck no. And so that's where negotiations are at. <laughs> Sounds fair. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys did settle in the middle at no. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. We always joke, like, the joke is always, uh, I want 12 kids, she wants four. So we've negotiated, gone back and forth, and we've met in the middle at four. So. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So how did you recover from that deal, by the way? Uh, in this case, it was just time. The Airbnbs provided a lot of cash flow. Thankfully, it's a low cost of entry to turn a, a, like a long-term rental into a short-term rental. It's not like you're jumping a hundred grand in. You can do it. Honestly, I always tell people budget $5,000 per room um, to, as a good rule of thumb. However, like you can do it way cheaper if you're like building your furniture, going to Kijiji, going to Value Villa, Village. Um, there's there's tons of ways to to bring your costs lower to be able to turn a long-term rental to a short-term rental which is what we did and so of course time went on we we just chugged and plugged along and we were able to dig ourselves out a little bit why does time help with that because the end of the day you get everything from mortgage buy down you make some more money cash flow like a lot of people get stuck on this thing that they have to do everything now they'll look at like the bigger players the the, the jared hopes the the wayne hilliers they'll look at these guys and see them doing like eight deals at once well they never did that and well unless you're jared and then he regrets doing multiple deals at once like just just do one thing get it done move on to the next don't worry about doing multiple deals that will come in the future great advice great advice now, I know one of the things that you and I had talked about uh, actually just before the interview, um, something about selling time. Would you be able to touch on that there as well? Yeah. So, and when it comes to describing short-term rentals and long-term rentals to people, a lot of people think that um, short-term rentals are like long-term rentals or long-term rentals like short-term rentals, that they're very similar. And the reality is there's only one thing they have in common, and that's what you're selling, which is time. So when you buy real estate, you're buying an asset but you're also buying a business. You're in the business of a timeshare. So with traditional real estate, you're taking a bulk amount of that timeshare, so like a year or a month, a year, and you're selling it to somebody. You're saying, hey, you are permitted to have the time in this space for one year in exchange for $2,000 a month. So, or in the, if you're doing a yearly contract, it's $24,000 divided up into 12 payments for $2,000 a month. So essentially you're, you're, doing the big bulk sales of time to somebody for a property. When you're doing short-term rentals, you're doing the same thing, except you're doing tiny segments of time. You're doing essentially, instead of doing retail sales, you're doing, re or sorry, wholesale, you're doing retail. So you're decking up the place, you're providing value to the place, and then you're selling it in blocks as short as one night. So you're selling it daily, essentially. So instead of, so you're able to charge more because all of a sudden it's flipping around. You're not trying to sell the place for a gross pro amount for a year. You're trying to get the most you can per night. So that can, you know, if you're doing like a hundred dollars a night, uh, on a property, that's $36,000 a year. That's, uh, that's a 50% increase to the amount of revenue you bring in. Um, if you're doing a thousand dollars a night, you know, that's $365,000 a year. So there, there's, it's a big difference. It's the same property at the same time but you're doing things to create value for that time to make it a more like a retail commodity instead of wholesale. I love it. I love it. I, every time I hear you talk about how to think about time, it just blows my mind. So thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And that's one of the things as well that people don't realize is because your, your stock, your inventory is time. If you don't sell it, you lose it. Absolutely. So people, a lot of people don't, you know, they have a vacancy, their property, they let it, like disappear for a couple of months before they get a tenant in, well, you, you lost that inventory and you're never getting it back. Very true. Very true. 
So back to this deal here, what were some of the lessons that you did learn on your worst deal? Um, numbers, don't settle for good deals, find great deals. Um, don't rely on market appreciation. Uh, don't rely on guys where who don't borrow money from people where you're borrowing their, their nest egg, their entire nest egg kind of thing. You know, it's one thing to borrow a hundred thousand dollars from someone who has a million dollars. It's another thing to borrow a hundred thousand dollars from someone who has a hundred thousand dollars. Um, that'd be one of the first rules I learned. Um, don't buy across the street from fire departments. Um, <laughs> Also, another thing in this deal was like we had the perfect basement suite tenant. It was a golden tenant. They were actually um, uh, Latter-day Saint missionaries, those little boys with the name tags who go around knocking on your door. By the way, they'll like do anything you ask them to for like service. So if you ever have chores, you can get them to do it. That's one of the cool things. Mm. But they, you know, they're in there. They're not partying. They're never home. They are literally just sleeping there. Fantastic tenants. You can't look for better tenants. Rent comes on time and all that stuff. I was relying on them to be my basement suite tenants because the basement suite uh, profile in the area isn't the best. So when I lost them, um, my tenant profile sucked. So I, I didn't take the time. I was kind of more sold on the tenant profile that I was getting with these guys than I was actually like the property itself. So I learned then to start thinking of worst case scenarios before I buy a property. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? And then planning accordingly because a lot of times we don't want to think about the worst case scenarios we want it to disappear from that but that just uh puts you in a position where you uh, end up losing 30 grand what is tenant profile so when it comes to tenant profile um when people look at houses oftentimes they get swamped up in the price uh like they want to get a house for as cheap as possible but they don't think about the kind of people they're going to be renting to because uh, in Edmonton, for example, on 118th Ave or Alberta Avenue, you have bungalows. And they're exactly the same as the bungalows over in like Riesbach, Castle Downs. They're, they were built within like 10 years of each other. They are, you know, they're 1,000 to 1,400 square feet. They've got three bedrooms upstairs, some number of bedrooms downstairs. They're the exact same building. But one of them is worth 250000 One of them is worth 450000 The reason why is your tenant profile. So on 118th Ave, Alberta Avenue, you get lower income people, you get people who have issues with um, being on time paying rent, so they've got terrible credit, you've got people who are on welfare, and of course there's nothing wrong with that, just understand that the kind of people who have those problems tend to have different attitudes or different uh, ways of doing things. Um, Meanwhile, people in Griesbach, you know, that's a desirable area. It's got good schools. People are going to be uh, doctors, accountants, lawyers, uh, pr young professionals, young families just starting up, salespeople who can't qualify for a mortgage. You have a really a nicer, way nicer tenant profile in those communities. You can't get those people to move to 119th Ave. They're not good, willing to do it. They're willing to pay more to be up in Griesbach. Um the difference as well is like the amount of work you have to put into it. On 118th Ave, you're going to be there every three days with dealing with another issue that they're complaining about. Up in Griesbach, you'll get a call once a year. And it'll be like, hey, uh, uh, I was mowing the lawn. I'm wondering if it's okay if I also trim around the shrubs in the back I, like by the, the, the driveway there. You'll get questions like that where they're calling to do more work for because they actually take pride in the place that they're renting. They care about how they look and they care about how things look. Whereas on the other side, you know, you're lucky to... You know, if you go to a really low, really cheap place, you can might have to go collect rent with a gun is the joke. So, 
you don't actually collect rent with guns. It's illegal in Canada. So uh, a Kevlar vest, maybe, but hopefully not a gun. Yeah. Oh no, it's illegal to have body armor. Uh, very true. Very true. Curious how yeah. you know that. Just, just because you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had to go collect rent in sketchy areas. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So your tenant profile is the kind of people are going to rent in an area. And that's the reason why 118th Ave is so cheap is nobody wants to deal with the work. So if you're okay with dealing with the work, if you're okay with dealing with those kind of tenants, then yeah, go for it. Have fun. Now you have mentioned gentrification here already. Um, what kind of tenant profile do you think you could get in an area that's gentrifying? Would it be closer to the 118th Ave, as you put it, or closer to that three spa? So um, gentrification, there's a little bit of gambling involved with it. So it's it's a fantastic, amazing way to do things uh, for a city to turn areas closer to the downtown to nicer suburban kind of like areas. But uh, it doesn't always succeed. But typically in an area where you're gentrifying, because the house is nice, new, big and tall, you'll get the best kind of tenants you can get for that area. So you'll find like, you know, a young professional may not want to live in Griesbach because he doesn't want to have a 25 minute commute downtown. So he might be willing to live in King Edward Park or Bonnie Doon. Bonnie Doon isn't as nice as Griesbach, but it's still pretty nice. So you'll get like the cream of the crop people from that area's tenant profile typically. That being said, people tried to gentrify um, Calder and it's so far it's failed. So the kind of people you'll get in Calder will people who are either typically you'll get a nice person who's ignorant of the area or you'll get, you know, the best of the, uh, you know, maybe like a lower, uh, the upper part of the lower income area. Sounds fair. Sounds fair. Now, one other thing I did want to touch on here is you were mentioning not to borrow somebody's entire nest egg. Um, a part of it is fine, but uh, you, you said not all of it. Why is that? Um, well, there's well, there's two parts to it. One of them is the moral part. Like, obviously, that's their nest egg. They're relying on you. Um, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't want to have their entire life savings reliant on you. Um, obviously it's different if you're really skilled and stuff like that, you know what you're doing, you have your systems in place, but when you're first starting out, you're going to make mistakes. Don't make mistakes with someone who can't afford for you to make mistakes. Um, look for somebody who has a little bit more, who's willing to take more of a gamble because the reality at the end of the day is you're a risk. Like every single investor is a risk. Uh, You got to look at the risk assessment for each person. Somebody who's got a ton of experience is fairly low risk. You know, they can put their money into you. Somebody who this is their first deal is very high risk. So you want to make sure that the people you're borrowing money from can afford to take that risk. Either let them um, have a lot of money in the bank or if they're young, you know, if you're 20, if you're, you're, Money partner is 25 years old, and let's say everything blows up, he's got another 45 years. He's fine. So you got you to gotta check those things out and make decisions accordingly. Sounds fair. Great advice. So we'll switch gears here and move into our second last category. What advice would you give to new investors in your area who are looking to scale their business? So if you're looking to do long-term rentals, there's a saying where it's your network is your net worth. So... Um, Go connect, meet people, get to know people. Like you see this guy you're, I'm talking to right here, this guy, he will have coffee with anybody and he's a great center of influence. Find the people who are center of influences who could introduce you to people and just become friends with them. Don't go into a real networking event going like, I'm here for money. I'm here for money. I'm here for money. Go in there to like get to know people, to talk to people, develop reputation yourself. Um, that's another thing as well. Like develop a reputation. Um, I'm, I'm called the Airbnb guy. 
just because I do Airbnbs. Um, is it my whole business? No, but that's how people know me. And that's fine. That's my brand right now in the Edmonton area. So be one of those, figure out something that's unique about you, whether you're a flipper or one wholesaler and, and dig into that. I'm not the only Airbnb guy in Edmonton. There's a couple of other ones kicking around, but among certain circles, I'm the Airbnb guy. And other ones, I'm just one of the Airbnb guys. That's fine. Go have like, go develop a reputation for yourself for something. Even if like you're new and you're starting out, be the reputation of being the really eager guy who's just really eager and excited. Um, your reputation will change with time. Develop a brand of um, like, you know, giving extremely firm handshakes, something to make you stand out. Have wear funny suits, like, well, not too crazy, but something that makes you stand out. Wear a bow tie. That's an easy one. Wear a bow tie instead of a regular tie. Everyone knows this is a bow tie. They're beautiful. They're awesome. I'm going to wear a bow tie next time. So I would love to see you in a bow tie. Aww. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds fair. And uh, I'm pretty sure you are the center for people there as well. Everyone that I talk to wants to come meet you. So <laughs> just so you know, everyone, oh. yeah, uh, they, they are quite excited to meet you and they want to talk with you more often. So I get a lot of people want to meet me. So I get a lot of messages. I love to talk to everyone. I don't have time to talk to everybody. Sorry. But if I ever get the chance to shoot me a message. Sounds fair. So if you're okay with it, I'd like to do a experimental section here. Ooh. You up for that? I'll try anything twice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair. <laughs> what are three people or three things that most people don't know about you? Three things people don't know about. Most people don't know me. Um, I'm a meme lord on a very specific type of memes. Um, people actually make memes about me. So oh. uh, it's, it's a very specific niche on the internet. Uh, has to do with like memes for people who serve missions and stuff like that. Okay. So that's one. Um, another thing about me. Um, I am an avid D&D player. I haven't played in a couple of years just because I have too many children, but I love playing D&D. It is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Um, I'm also a sail instructor, so I can instruct people and teach people how to sail boats legally. So uh, that's another thing most people don't know about me. I did not know that about you. It's very cool. Yes. Wait, you knew the other two? Uh, I do. did know that you like playing uh, D&D. Oh, dang. Yeah. I got to get more creative ones next time. Uh, no, that, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I know uh, our mutual friend Jared was looking to play Dungeons and Dragons uh, some time ago. Dude, yeah. tell him we should set one up. Mm -hmm. I thought about it like two or three days after he uh, he, he mentioned it. I'm like, oh, damn it, Carlos likes to do that. But yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds fair. So I, I do hope our viewers enjoy that little segment. Uh, we're hoping to showcase our, our guests a little bit more on the personal side here in the next couple of interviews yeah so i know you are rather pressed for time so we'll get to our last segment here how can people get a hold of you and and just learn more about you um easiest way shoot me a message on facebook dm me uh i can't promise i'll respond right away and if you dm me asking really basic questions like hey uh where in edmonton can i should i invest my answer is going to be like go do some market research like i if, if you have a really basic question like that I'm going to honestly be passing you on to YouTube videos. Go look, go learn for yourself, go learn a chunk, do your own market research. Uh, there's way better resources out there than me to teach you how. When you have specific questions, shoot me a message. I'd love to chat with you. Uh, you can also email me as well. Uh, I think Jeremy will include in the notes my email address. So you can just shoot me a message and I'd love to chat. Sounds good. Well, Carlos, 
Thank you very much, sir. No problem. Love you. Bye-bye.